What's up, guys? I forgot to mention it in the body of the podcast, so I thought I'd throw it here at the top. Uh, we are having the Stranded Panda Halloween party this Wednesday night at 7 Central. We are going to get on Twitch and uh, it'll start on Twitch. Uh, we'll probably like, you know, say hello, da, 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 da. And then we'll drop into like a Zoom call and just like hang out with the Stranded Panda folks. Uh, we're going to do a costume contest where you can win uh, a mystery box, which those of you who, um, follow trivia will know what that means but also we'll probably throw in like you know a stranded panda shirt or whatever uh so uh so yeah join us for the halloween party it's just a chance to hang out with other pandas uh that's going to be at twitch.tv slash stranded panda tv we just hang out there we'll probably live stream for a bit but we'll also drop a link for the zoom call so you can actually join in and hang out with us both on the twitch and probably afterwards we'll probably have a few adult beverages and hang out and chat about Halloween, and just, yeah, hang out with everybody. So, come on out. Halloween party, that's uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central, uh, on twitch.tv slash TV. Today on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast is a brand new book talking about the behind the scenes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it has lots of little tidbits that are interesting. Also, Kevin Feige says something that completely misunderstands how we feel as fans, and I'm mad <laughs> about it. And also, Kamala Khan might have different powers. I don't know. All that right of his dad, we have no control over. Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll, and today we have a wonderful guest host gracing us with their presence, Matthew Fox. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. You and I have been uh, putting together some Orville content, and I'm just excited to be back here talking MCU. Yeah, man, I've, uh, I've missed casting with you. We haven't really gotten to cast together for like months and months. And now we've been yeah. doing the Orville and now we're uh, getting you over here. Cause Ashley and Jeff, Jeff is crazy busy working on his, uh, his degree that he is insanely mm-hmm. finishing a degree in one freaking semester, like a boss. <laughs> he got, I like it. have you, have you heard about his whole thing? He got some sort yeah. of, yeah, it's crazy. Um, he to save for the people, but like, yeah, he got a degree where like, it's it feels like buffet style degree mm-hmm. where like he pays for per semester and it's as much as he can learn in a semester and he's like just <laughs> done a full bachelor's degree in one semester which is insane right oh i didn't use his bachelor's degree yeah he's getting a bachelor's in one semester <laughs> okay crazy okay he's like basically doing a every week he's just in a new course like online course and he's just finishing it every week mm-hmm. he's like well finish this finish that finish it's crazy um he's killing it so nice. he, he's busy with that and Ashley is also indisposed this fine evening. So we are going to be, uh, we're going to be taking over the reins. Um, and we're doing, this is going to be a news and feedback episode. So, uh, we've got some cool news here. Matthew yeah, Fox. I'm looking forward to it. You know, uh, for me, I don't have the ability to do that kind of w- the weekly thing, but being a, a pinch hitter can come in. Uh, my, my main job just got a new boss tonight and I, uh, have a whole bunch of new work I'm supposed to be doing that I didn't really want to be oh. doing. So this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm, I have so much to do. I'm so busy. So I'm ha- very happy for the actual distraction. Otherwise exactly. I would have had to exactly. distract, come up with my own distractions, you know, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, first off, th- this shows how it is of kind of a slow news week in mm-hmm. that the biggest news, there's like a bunch of pieces of news but it all comes from a book. So like there's a book released this week called the story of Marvel studios. It's a huge 
beautiful looking volume. I'm assuming there's cool artwork in it. I haven't seen it yet. It's like over a hundred dollars. This is big, thick book. And they just did a bunch of interviews with the various people involved with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, actors, directors, and sort of like tried to suss out what happened behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of little interesting tidbits that we sort of kind of knew about the way the Marvel Cinematic Universe came together. Uh, a few of things, I will say this seems like it was produced by Marvel. So anytime you have a, uh, a behind the scenes thing produced by the company, they're obviously um, going to play with kid gloves, you know? It's going to be like that commentary track where every actor says this was the best cast they ever worked with. Exactly. And no problems. And you, you wait till stuff comes out. But still, I think it is fascinating. And honestly, uh, in part because of the stuff I've been doing with some other MCU stuff, I had been diving pretty deep into the history of Marvel Comics itself. Oh, and there's yeah. some great books out there. But some of the more recent books have really just become about Stanley's legacy, you know? And was he great? Or did he steal everything from Jack Kirby? And like, we can go back and forth, but I'm just so happy to see some Marvel content that's about the history of Marvel that's not about that, you know, because it's about moving forward and what's been happening in the era where Stan Lee was doing cameos and had some ideas, but it was mostly out of his hands. Yeah, 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 for sure. And that's the very interesting thing about this, I think, is like, I think the the, the biggest... <clears throat> kind of takeaways we got from the book are all about Ike Perlmutter's team. They very mm-hmm. much paint Ike Perlmutter, who was the, uh, he was the CEO or the head of, uh, Marvel entertainment at the time. And so he's sort of on over all of Marvel, but then you've got Kevin Feige. We, we had a lot of conversations on the podcast at the time about this, where like Kevin Feige and him kept butting heads over things. And finally they went to the heads at Disney and were like, we can't work together. And so they took Kevin Feige and put him in his own, they, mm-hmm. they gave him his own sandbox to play with, which is when we kind of get the separation between the TV side and the movie side. Cause for a while we all, it's all connected. That's the whole right. concept behind this podcast. But it turns out that basically this, this book details how like a lot of what was being created for television, uh, even agents of shield, which was probably the most t- closely tied, but also daredevil, uh, Punisher, you know, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, all those shows, all the Defenders content were all being created by Ike Perlmutter almost in defiance of Kevin Feige all along. Mm. Like, um, it sounds like uh, Kevin Feige actually, uh, they, they talk about how Kevin Feige and crew w- wanted to develop a Daredevil movie and or develop right. something for Daredevil, but th- on the Ike Perlmutter side, they were like, no, you can't have those, which I think is crazy. The idea that like anyone's telling Kevin Feige, no, like inside the company is like, sorry, Marvel, you're making the biggest movies of all time. We won't loan you this character that we own inside the company to make whatever you want with it. You know? Right. And to me, that becomes such a more confusing story because, you know, I I talked about this a bit. I know you and Jeff and Ashley have talked about it a lot more. When all this stuff was going on about who owns the X-Men, who owns Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, it was pretty clear that, like, you know, Sony and the rest of them, like, they were doing okay movies, but nothing like the quality of the MCU. And so there's a pretty easy case of give it to Feige, he's going to do the best job. Right. I still think that not all of them, but like Daredevil season one and three, Luke Cage one, Jessica Jones one are some of the best MCU content we've ever had, or some of the best Marvel on-screen content we've ever had. So it's interesting hearing that that stuff was kind of out of the Feige control. Yeah. And, 
you know, it, it makes me sad because I think it would have been just as good under Feige and more integrated, which I would love. It's something I think is so interesting because when we fans are trying to speculate, we're always thinking about this in terms of the companies and the, you know, the direction they want to go and how they want to make movies and how the strategy and all that's important. But I think it's easy to forget these are people and people right. have ego. And yeah. sometimes it's just about, I want my thing to be better than that guy's thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's something I really want to read more about because it seems like a fascinating story. Yeah. This, the, the, the articles I read on this book make me really want to read it. Uh, and I, like, there were multiple articles that came out this week that were basically just people reading this book and being like, here's another little tidbit we got out of this book and what it means, yeah. you know? And, uh, let me just run down a few of those. Um, and it basically the entire thing is painting the Ike Perlmutter team as the villain and the Kevin Feige team as the heroes because that's who's right. running this show. So it makes sense that that's the case. But um, apparently th- that team, uh, they would give notes because they were technically the, the Marvel Entertainment people were over the Marvel Studios people like they, they were in charge of the Marvel Studios people. So. Uh, they would give them notes on things they're doing. And apparently they gave 25 pages of notes to Edgar wow. Wright about Ant-Man, which wow. okay. he left that project. And I've been saying for years how sad I was that we lost Edgar Wright. Cause I think he's one of the, you know, the best filmmakers around. And the fact that we lost him on Ant-Man is a huge loss. Um, mm-hmm. we never, we will never know cause we never saw his version, but I've been saying like, it makes me sad as a big fan of those two properties. Oh, uh, well of For Edgar sure. Wright and of that property. And, uh, it turns out it was that team that was sending him 25 pages of notes. Oh. Uh, it's, that just seems noted to death. And then he left. So that makes sense. Yeah. And it's something that I think I know has been a real struggle within Marvel from the beginning is this question of how much or how little control are they going to have, you know, and mm-hmm. how much, um, how much are they going to sort of set their own tone versus, you know, really giving them room to run. And I know I've heard from some more recent Marvel directors that, you know, they would be brought in and basically told like, okay, we want you to tell the story, but the story has to begin here and has to end here and has to hit these beats. Right. And, like, in some cases, people were like, that's awesome. In some cases, people were like, that's not what I want to be doing. Uh, and I, there was one interview, I think it's with a person who did Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I could be wrong there, where he said at first it felt like a terrible thing, but as he got to work more with with Feige, that there was much more of a, like, okay, this does make sense. Right. And I, I think that there's – it's interesting to me because I've recently been doing a lot of coverage of the Thor movie, the original – on a, a different podcast that shan't be named because I'm oh, on the yeah, MCU cast. You can mention. No, you kidding. can mention. No, it's totally fine. Yeah, it's uh, the Marvel Movie Minute. Uh, Matt has been a guest. Yeah. His minutes aren't published yet. Uh, Jeff was a guest. Ashley was a guest. Ashley went spent probably had a good 45 minutes just talking about Thor's hair and eyebrows. It was great. Uh, <laughs> but because of that, we're doing this in-depth analysis of the movie Thor. And one thing that I hadn't really realized until looking back on it is that's the first movie that's made where everyone knew that they were going to do some kind of an MCU. You know, Iron Man, they may have wanted to, but who knew it was going to happen? Right. Hulk was kind of half in, half out of the MCU. Uh, Iron Man 2 sets it up for sure with bringing in some characters, but Thor, like by the time you're making Thor, they're already working towards Avengers um, in a much mm-hmm. more like, we know we can do this way. And it's, it's interesting seeing how much of that movie sets up, you know, Stillwell gets in- introduced, like all these things get introduced 
and now it makes me really want to wonder, like, sit where... Sitwell, right? Sitwell? Sitwell, yeah, thank you. Sitwell gets introduced. Uh, it's the first time we go off Earth, you know, into yeah. Asgard and anything beyond just, like, people on Earth doing yeah. Earth things. We always talk about Guardians as the first cosmic universe right. thing, and it kind of is. It goes, It's the first to leave the nine realms, as it were, right. which we still don't fully understand what that means, and what, what is and isn't part of the nine realms exactly, but... Um, it, yeah, you're right. It's, it's interesting because it's the first to get off, off world and expand right. to the cosmos at all. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely, this is a book I want to get my hands on. Cause it, I, I think all this, I, I, I can remember now when Foggy was put in charge that there was a lot of people, like I, I remember hearing a lot of Perlmutter being mentioned as bad and Foggy as good and not understanding it. Um, right. so I just didn't pay attention back then. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm really interested to see what this book has to say. Yeah. There's other things that that team, it's not just Perlmutter. There was a, List of about, like, they, they listed in, in the articles there about six people that were on this team. It was Ike Perlmutter, Brian Michael Bendis, Joe Casada, uh, Dan Buckley, and Alan Fine are on this mm-hmm. sort of board, or guess. And uh, a lot of those are comics writers who, like, probably have, you know, they have a lot of experience with the source material. And, uh, you know, it, it, it would make sense to go to them for some advice. But Feige just seems like he knew what, what the, what the material needed. Um, except, like you said, they did a great job. With Daredevil and the Defenders, mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with you. I'm I'm surprised that that's something that was intentionally taken out of the hands of Feige and given right. to this other piece. Um, but uh, they also they tried to get rid of James Gunn's soundtrack for Guardians of the Galaxy. <sighs> they thought that was, I guess, a non-stylistic move or something like it was too far out of the realm of what mm-hmm. they were doing, which would, be, would have been a huge mistake. That's like what yeah. makes that movie that movie. Um, 100%. Yeah. They, they pushed for the reduction of various roles for women in the MCU. Um, they're the ones who basically stood, stood in the way of, uh, them making a Black Widow movie for lots of years. Which is so funny because they also gave us Jessica Jones and yeah. like even Iron Fist like has some fantastic women characters. Luke Cage has fantastic women characters. Yeah, agreed. I, I guess the sense was we'll put them all on TV because people won't watch in the movies. People which, won't pay for that or something. Yeah. Hopefully by now is completely been proven wrong but still it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting here that that's where that came from yep yep uh and I, you know like obviously it's 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 always interesting to think about and we won't get into politics here too mm-hmm. much but it is interesting to think about clearly there is an element in our society that is a little less likely to go see a female led movie every time a female is cast in a big role there's like a big pushback and so like these big companies that are trying to appeal to everyone are always trying to like walk this line and and you know they they're they're, I, I, I personally like when they like push those boundaries and try to do the new thing and try to push mm-hmm. for a diversity and inclusion, but like they are Disney and they're trying to appeal to every family in America, you know, and it's like yeah. this yeah, weird spot to be in for them. It, and I guess if the Netflix is always seen as kind of its own thing, because to me, the Netflix Defender shows, not Defender itself, although somewhat that, they are more political, like that they, they are more. Jessica Jones has so much more to say about feminism and and rape culture and mm-hmm. and all these things that until really Black Widow I think uh, Luke Cage did so much around race that I think uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier and and Black Panther had kind of spoken up for but Luke Cage is way earlier so yeah it's just I, I think especially because maybe the pandemic has really shaped my opinion of this I I feel like the idea that like movies are top brow and TV is the minor leagues mm-hmm. is just gone. For sure. You know, and it may be that movies do generate more income. And so that's the thinking. But yeah, I kind of wonder how much that kind of thinking is going to continue as we go forward. 
Yeah. I, obviously I hope that kind of thinking goes away. Um, but yeah, I, I, I it's, it is definitely, I mean, and it also movies have to be popular internationally. That's the thing that they, you always hear when you hear these leaks, like Sony had the big leaks a few years ago. And the thing you kept hearing was like, uh, the, the phrase they used in emails was black doesn't travel stuff right. like that. Even though some of the biggest movies of all time, uh, were led by black men. Um, and then, and, but they just like, like Will Smith was one of the biggest actors in the world for a while. And, and mm-hmm. there's still, and even though Denzel is huge, they still wouldn't make certain movies with Denzel because they were right. like, he won't travel. And that's, ridiculous it like it's just ridiculous it's absolutely that was a big part of the fight to get shang chi made is for Mm -hmm. a long time there's that same idea that like people don't see asian men as sex symbols and as like powerful warrior types and again the success of that movie has blown it away but i i think that movie has still not been seen in china am i right about that i haven't followed that part of the news i don't know i think there was a moment where they uh, started to say that they weren't going to because mm-hmm. the lead actor mentioned Taiwan. <laughs> right. And so, or, or like, you know, or they found an old tweet of him talking about Taiwan, but I don't know if China, it, it appeared in China yet or not, actually. Yeah. Court OB wrote, the gun soundtracks are characters in themselves. They make the film. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Totally. By the time the first Guardians movie came out, I wasn't quite as like, I'm going to watch every Marvel thing as I became. But I, I like some stuff quite a lot. And when I heard this Guardians of the Galaxy thing, I was like, I don't care about these people. I don't, I'm not interested. I, you know, it looks like a fine movie. I'm not interested in going to see it. It was when I heard the soundtrack. And for me as a, like, child of the 70s and 80s, I was so in. And then, of course, it's a fantastic movie. But yeah, the soundtrack just adds so much to it. Absolutely. I was able to really sell it to all of my music friends, you know? I have a lot of, uh, a lot of music friends because of my, uh, you know, uh, because I play music for a living and I was able to go to them and go, no, you need to see this movie. Like it's so, right. so good. Um, yeah, I can't tell if it's opened in China or not. I'm looking at, uh, looking at it on, I don't see China listed on the, uh, box office mojo. So maybe not, or maybe right. I'm just missing it anyway. So we'll, we'll look into that further. If we had a producer today, we'd be like, look into that. <laughs> um, all right. Um, it also, it, it just basically, this book seems to be blaming kind of every popular decision on Feige and every unpopular one on this team, which like mm-hmm. is, mm, you know, I don't know how true that is. It does seem like that's been, that's been established previously, but it, it's, right. it's interesting to see them writing a book from the, their perspective and being like, no, we were just always right. <laughs> you know, the victors get to tell history. Like yeah. that's just something that that's applies true. always. Um, which is funny too, because one of the things that does come up a lot in those books that I was reading is the idea that because Stan Lee stayed and Jack Kirby left, Stan Lee got to shape the history of Marvel. So the idea of Marvel history being shaped by the people who stay, th- there's a long history of that, you know? Right. And yeah, yeah. So I'm sure we'll probably get the book from someone in the Perlmutter camp, you know, in a couple of years or whatever. Uh, and we can, you know, argue back and forth about which one's right, but it's, for me, I, I do like seeing how the sausage is made, um, both because it affects so much of what we think about the MCU, for sure, but also because I, I have a, a kind of selfish interest in this, which is that I am a big MCU fan. I also love DC. Jeff isn't here to yell and scream at me for saying that, but I know that he's going to go see Batman, at least, the <laughs> Batman. But my primary fandom will always be Star Wars. And Star Wars, you know, 
tried to, like, I think the original Star Wars Disney years were pretty much a disaster, as many people would say. And some people like one movie, some people like another. Everyone knows where I stand on that, if you don't listen to my own podcasts. But <laughs> one of the things that's happened in the last couple of years is that um, John Favreau and Dave Filoni have gotten much more involved and really started, to, and they've been made, made very clear, both of those folks have worked very closely with Kevin Feige and that they're trying to sort of take the Kevin Feige approach to the MCU and apply it to Star Wars. And so far, it's really working. And so for me, I love the idea of, of more people talking about this process because it, the process is definitely going to affect more things within Disney because it's the same mm-hmm. company. But I imagine other companies are going to start seeing hmm. this as a blueprint. It's very interesting. You, you mentioning Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau because they are not inherently executives, right? Right. Like Dave Filoni was a was the the head writer mostly on uh, the Clone Wars. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. D- does he direct as well, or does he just write? Do you know? I think he directed a good deal. He certainly sort of wrote the kind of the Bible of the book in a lot of ways. Right. He was a lot of like setting the. Um, right. Like that's the that's the whole that's the whole head writer thing where you're like the showrunner. Right. I knew I knew he was the showrunner on those on some of those animated things, and then he became. He's is he going to be the showrunner on Ahsoka? Is that right? I believe so. I, I think that he is now kind of in charge of Star Wars. Okay. Like the the exact because Disney wants to not throw Kathleen Kennedy on. Kathleen Kennedy is seen by many people as the Perlmutter of the MCU. Right. I don't. In the same way that I think probably Perlmutter is not as bad as some of these stories are making out. Exactly. Be, yeah. I think Kathleen Kennedy is not as bad either. But certainly that's been kind of the the story has emerged is Filoni, Favreau, good Kennedy, bad. Right. And I think th- there's probably some truth to that and some, there's probably just some bad decisions made. But it's interesting mm-hmm. because the, the thing that Marvel has is this character of Kevin Feige who has made great decisions and has pushed the thing in the right direction, but he is not inherently a creative. Like he's not a right. director or a writer. Like he just does a good job of choosing good directors and writers. And I think about someone like John Favreau or Filoni sort of taking the reins on these things and doing that sort of job of heading up the creative. But, you know, it, it, does that mean they're going to, especially Favreau, does that mean he's going to like stop getting involved with the directing and writing? Is he, cause it feels like it would take someone sort of being willing to step back and be like, I'm not actually going to take on a project. I'm going to guide all the projects. Right. And that is, uh, just a completely different role that Feige's fulfilled. And it's sort of the first, I mean, there, there's, there's no, you can't say enough about how singular the MCU is. Yeah, because it's made they've made 25 movies in a little over 10 years and they've kept a tight universe for the most part. And mm-hmm. like, it's just great. Oh, goodness. Yeah. No, I think it's very true. And I do think one, one of the things actually I, I talked about this recently on an episode of Star Wars Universe podcast, but I think it's relevant to this conversation is that one of the things I've always thought that the MCU did so well is to say we are telling stories that are based on and inspired by these comic books, but we are never going to claim to be true to the comic books panel for panel. You know, we are going to tell our own versions of the stories. Mm-hmm. We're going to update the characters. We're going to modernize the stories and we're going to do our own versions of it. And they managed to find this incredible balance. I thought where someone like you or Jeff, uh, Jeff, especially who loves the comic books can still love them. While also someone like me, who's barely read the comic books, can still love them right, and not yeah. feel alienated. Um, with Star Wars, one of the biggest problems they had. Sorry, I don't mean to turn this into a Star Wars podcast. But it's all relevant. <laughs> it's all going back to this book in MCU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Was you know for a while they got rid of the Legends content and they you know all these old books that had been 
thrown away, that had been written, all got thrown away. There's like 150 of them. More recently, a lot of the content in those books is finding its way into the Star Wars canon. Right. Sometimes it's just a character, sometimes it's a storyline, sometimes it's an idea. But I think that there's an extent to which they're basically treating the Legends can the Legends books the way Marvel treats the comic books, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of oh, we'll let ourselves be inspired by it. We'll let ourselves take characters and stories from it, but we're not going to try it. We're, we're okay breaking the canon of it. Yeah. And there's a whole other set of stories about like, should those Star Wars Legends writers be being paid more? Which, of course, comic book writers, there's never a problem with that in terms of their properties getting <laughs> turned into TV and movies. No, but, no, not at all. But yeah, I, I, I think it really highlights, like, what what MCU has done, what Marvel has done, is something I think, like, 200 years from now, when people are reading, like, the history of entertainment, this is something I think people are going to be talking about, because it's just such a fundamental sea change mm-hmm. that now other people are going to try and figure out what to do with. Well, and they have been for years now. I mean, DC's been trying to do it. Star Wars has been trying to do it. Um, Star Trek is trying to do it. I think, weirdly, mm-hmm. Star Trek is the other one that I think is doing it somewhat successfully. Um right. I mean, depends on who you talk to, but they've got four series. They're about to have five series on television, which is like just, just a crazy amount of Star Trek. No, I'm sorry, six, mm-hmm. six series on television. And they're all supposed to be canon. They're all like, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty wild. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, oh, uh, let's see. The other thing that was mentioned in the book is, uh, Spider-Man producer Amy Pascal. This is another thing that was going around. Spider-Man producer, she's one of the Sony executives. Mm-hmm. Amy Pascal cried in anger when Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige first suggested an MCU crossover. Like, she apparently, like, flipped her ever-loving shit because she had been working on the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies, and they were in full plans to do a third. And not only a third, one of those, they had the Sinister Six movie in the works. They had all mm-hmm. this Venom stuff that was... They had, like... I don't know if you remember the end of the second Andrew Garfield spider You just did a rewatch of them, right? Yeah, yeah. So I- you remember the post credit sequence? You see all mm-hmm. the Sinister Six outfits and stuff? Yeah. So she was, like, deep in creating that. And then Kevin Feige apparently went into her office and said... So Spider-Man 2 didn't do very well. It looks like Spider-Man 3 is not going to work. Let's put him in, let's put him in the MCU. And she just like got <laughs> horribly angry. Eventually she came around and she's still, yeah. I think she's still in charge over there. They're doing uh, a yeah. Sony stuff. And that's such an interesting thing because, you know, on the one hand, I think we're also happy that we get Spider-Man into the MCU because he's been one of the best parts ever since Civil War. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I, I realize I kind of like the Andrew Garfield movies and it'll be interesting to see how they finished up, but I, well, we you may know, we may get some sort of ending. I'm I'm I'm, yeah. ho- I'm, I'm hopeful. No way home mm-hmm. is looking like it could tie all those all those things together that we never got an answer to. I want more. I would love to see more of uh, Tobey Maguire's as well. I love Tobey Maguire mm. as Spider Man. Um, I, I will make no comment on that. <laughs> uh, certainly, I love. I know last week you and uh, Jeff were talking about the idea of kind of a Roger Rabbit world of bringing some of the Miles Morales Spider Verse characters in. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I think I, I think that we're definitely going to get Miles Morales in the MCU. Oh, for sure. Him having his own video game, I think, is you know, like Kamala Khan is a big part of the the Avengers video game. They use the video games to sort of test the waters slash introduce people that may not know those characters to those characters before right. they introduce them in the MCU. That happens all the time. Right. And so, yeah, I, I think we'll definitely get Miles Morales. I, I would love it. Like, I, I think the voice actor who played him is a good actor, you know, from what I understand. Yeah, he probably yeah, yeah. do 
the physical acting. I'd love to get some of those other characters. You know, that person who did Gwen Stacy, bring her over. Um, don't know how much it would all work, but either in as humans or just the the anime, especially that Nick yeah. Cage. You know, have him just be the animated love, noir. I love that animated noir Nick Cage show. Like, and it's being it's being filmed like in such a way that like. The, the multiverse and being able to like reach out to the multiverse and do crazy things. Like we got quantum main, we had a movie called quantum mania coming up. Like I feel like they could do things like that and really get away with it in the mm-hmm. MCU. And I'm in a way that I'm very excited to see. Um, by the way, all that stuff about the book was sent in by one of our patrons, Tim Brown sent that in over on Patreon. Thank you, Tim, uh, for writing that in. I didn't, I hadn't seen anything about that book yet. And so it's good to, it was, it was, it was great information because I was able to kind of dig into multiple articles about that book and find a lot, yeah. find out a lot of cool, cool little interesting things. Couple quick notes from the chat. Um, yeah, yeah. I Anderson says, uh, Kamala is the goat champions movie when, um, and mm-hmm. Vermillion, Vermillion one writes in, um, I would absolutely love more of Toby and Andrew Spidey's in the MCU, even if they treat their movies in apocryphal manner, similar to Spider-Verse. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I would. I mean, like, if it's the multiverse, I just want him to jump in and be like, nope, this, we are the ones from those movies. And that, but like, yeah, you know, just seeing them again would be super fun. I also this week to bring other universes into it again, we also had the release of this, the, um, the flash trailer. Have you seen that? I have not. No, my buddy Paul mm. was telling me how good it was, and do I definitely you, want to hear it. Do you care to know uh, what's in it? Or are you trying to steer yeah. away from everything? I, I'm mostly steering away, but I figured if, I, if I'm going to come on this, like I figured I, <laughs> I, I, I should be willing to accept some spoilers in well, my life. The big thing is that they're apparently doing is they're bringing back Michael Keaton's Batman. Oh, nice! And, nice. and like, and and the, it begins the the Flash trailer begins with like Michael Keaton's voiceover as okay. Batman. And then you see like him from the back. You see the the classic Batman suit from 1989. Like, it's, mm-hmm. oh, and there's a yeah. It's just it's just that like it's very similar. I mean, this is even mm-hmm. further further back. This is 20 right. more years backwards. We're talking, but like to the to bringing back Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Well, mm-hmm. ten ten years more, I guess. Well, and if they go that route again, this is DC content. But just I'll I'll finish the thought there. I know because Paul's not here. I will say this on his behalf. He's convinced mm-hmm. me of this. The Batman Beyond TV show in which it's set in the future and an older grizzled Batman is kind of the mentor to yes. a new actual Batman of Terry McGinnis. I would, oh, if Michael Keaton were to be that older Batman and that we get a Terry McGinnis on screen, I, oof, I would love yep. that so much. But Same. We'll, we'll, we'll let Dave and the other, and, and, and them talk about that on the <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah, over on the DC on screen. All right, we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor, actually brought to us by Jeffrey Randall. What you got to say, Jeff? Hey, everyone. This is Jeff. I know I told Matt I was super busy and couldn't be on this episode. And and that's not wrong, but I'm lost to the internet. All right. And and it's not in a bad way either because I've got NordVPN protecting me. I'm sure you know everything there is to know about VPN technology, so I'm not going to bore you with the details on how NordVPN blocks all the would-be scrub hackers from getting your private data whenever you're using publicly accessible internet points. You're not a coffee shop rookie. I get it. I'm not going to go on about how NordVPN can make it seem like to the internet you're anywhere in the world by connecting to over 59 different countries. You know all about how you can get to the U.S. from abroad so that you can get all the shows that you watch at home while you're traveling 
and how that also means that you can connect anywhere else in the world from home and watch their shows, like the UK streaming services for Peaky Blinders, Doctor Who, and the European version of Disney Plus that has all the star category, where you can watch things that aren't available in the US using your existing Disney Plus account. I get it, and you know this. You know all about how NordVPN doesn't collect logs on any of their servers so that they can actually vow to never collect your internet traffic data. Let me tell you, as a systems engineer, I can tell you that this is a giant pain when it comes to troubleshooting. You know all of the benefits about NordVPN and how coming into the holiday season, it's a really great idea to encrypt all of your internet traffic since there's likely going to be a ton of credit card purchases on various online shopping platforms. You know that. What you may not know is that you can get up to 73% off of your NordVPN plan by going to nordvpn.com slash podcast or using the code podcast at checkout. You can get a two-year plan with a bonus four months. That's 28 months for just $3.18 per month. Given how expensive it can be to reconcile identity theft and how prevalent identity theft has been lately, you can't afford not to use this deal. Go to nordvpn.com slash podcast or use the code MCU podcast to get up to 73% off of your NordVPN plan with that bonus gift. And be quick about it because this offer is only for a limited time. I'm going to go watch Con Air next because I can't get that anywhere else. Uh, okay. Uh, the other, we have a couple very much smaller news stories here. This is just a quote from Kevin Feige. Uh, he's mm-hmm. discussing the fact that they are moving all the movies back. They moved uh, Doctor Strange from March to May. And then they moved the, the movie that was in May back to November. They basically shifted the entire schedule back three, two or three months. And uh, Feige says of the Doctor Strange being pushed back. So instead of there being three months between Marvel movies, there will be five months between Marvel movies. And I think we can all handle that. And I'd just like to say, no, we can't, Kevin Feige. <laughs> You're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. I can't handle it. I am spoiled now. Yes, last year I went like almost two years without new Marvel content, but this year you've spoiled me. I can't handle it. Give me Doctor Strange now. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, I think I was actually happy to hear this news because, um, you know, I'm someone who's still not comfortable going to movie theaters. And uh, since it seems, especially after the most recent lawsuit, I don't like, I, I wish Disney would go back to doing the release it on Disney plus at the same mm-hmm. time. And I even, I would pay, I'd happily pay Disney plus. I don't think they're going to be doing that. So frankly, I'm sure that's not why they're releasing, delaying it, but I, I'm okay if it takes a little more time, but you're right. It is. It was so nice to start getting regular content again. And um, it, it's going to be hard to, to sort of have this like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, we're, it, it's a long time to wait. So, you know, and I think, I think especially Doctor Strange, I mean, all the way back to WandaVision, like, it, it felt like Doctor Strange should have come out three weeks after the WandaVision last episode. And so, I think there's been so much Loki is building to it, What If is building to it. I think that one is really going to be hard to wait for. You know, mm-hmm. Quantum Mania, things like that. I love Ant-Man. Right. Uh, but I think we can wait a little more for those. But well, yeah, yeah, it's going to be hard to wait on this one. Yeah, for sure. But even Quantum Mania, like, that's where we know Kang is coming. And so, like, right. even that's like, I don't want to wait on any of it. I want it all now. But obviously, yeah, I was just, I was very excited about a very packed few months of just like, yeah, uh, you know, no way home in December, March, we get, uh, w- Dr. Strange may, I think is Thor. I don't even know, man. I don't even know what's coming with, what the order it, is. It, it, yeah. It, it's, it's, it was originally set for, th- for, uh, May. I'm not sure if this new pushed back schedule will change that. Yeah. It looks like it, it is. It looks like Thor is now set for, uh, July. Okay. And so, so it's, it's still not bad. It's like May, 
uh, May, July, then November. It's really not bad. I just need to calm down. I just need to calm down, guys. Remember, in Feige we trust. Uh, I don't actually believe that, but you know that's the that's the that's the saying. It, we're going to get the content. It's going to be worth it. Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, agreed. But I'm just mad at Feige for his flippant statement about you can <laughs> you, you can. He's like, you'll take what I give you, and you can you'll handle it. There you um, go. There you go. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing, Kevin Feige. I love you. Um, the last thing. This is a toy leak. So. If you feel very strongly about toy leaks, I normally do, but I don't think this is a huge plot spoiler. Uh, it's just kind of something interesting. Um, the MCU's Kamala Khan, they had some toys leak, pictures mm-hmm. of some toys leak. And there's a, a shot of her punching. And in this shot of her punching, you can see her fist, her regular size. So Kamala Khan's powers are similar to Mr. Fantastic's. Like, she's stretchy. That's her whole right. thing. Um in this image on her packaging, it looks as if she's actually projecting like this purple fist out in front of her instead mm. of stretching. Like it looks like almost like a green lantern style, like creating a force punch kind of thing. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. look like at first I thought it was like a diamond punch or something, but uh looking at it closer, you can still see her hand. Her smaller hand is still intact. So she's like creating something with her powers or her mind. There's also another spot in the toy leak where she's standing on a little purple surface. It almost Mm -hmm. as if she's like creating things, which is not her power set from comics at all. So, uh, it's just kind of weird. Uh, yeah. And we, and it also, it could just be weird art. Like maybe it is just my thinking was maybe her arm just shrank. And it's supposed right. to be like a, an image of where her arm was or something, mm-hmm. but it looks strange. I mean, I do know, and granted they were a while ago, but like when the Fantastic Four movies came out, one of the, one of the many, many criticisms that they faced, both of them, was that the elastic powers of Mr. Fantastic just never looked good on screen. And I, I admit it's not like when I look at pictures of it, I'm like, ah, that looks, that doesn't make me want to like see that on screen. Um, you know, granted, I'm not a comic fan the way a lot of other people are, but I, I could see them maybe changing it a little bit. But of course, also, we're, it's multiverse, you know, so I think it's incredibly possible sure. that it might well be something where, you know, not, not, I don't think they would give us a variant with different powers, but maybe, you know, like something happens to her that causes her powers to get a little bit different. And, yeah. and uh, it, at this point, it's just so hard to know. And one thing that Feige and all of them have been so good at is taking things from the comics that don't really work either on the screen or in the modern day and translating them in a way that for the first two weeks or so that the news hits, a lot of the diehards are super upset about. But then once we see it on screen, we're like, ah, Actually, yeah, that's better. That's fine. Okay, we're here. <laughs> and I, yeah. I imagine that wherever it goes, that may well happen here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think what? that's I think that's true. I, and, I, and I definitely see your... Especially making a TV show. Mm-hmm. Like, stretching powers are already... Can be kind of weird and cheesy. Um, and especially being in the uh, TV show the way they are. Maybe they just needed to like adapt that somehow. Maybe they're taking the character and giving her a different power set, but it's just, that's a big change. Um, And like you said, they just had her in the um, video game and a lot of people got to know her that way. I did. 
And I was like, I love Kamala Khan now. Like, I played as Kamala Khan the whole time. I loved her character. Mm-hmm. I played with Kamala Khan so much that in the last battle, they make you use all of the characters. And I was like, none of my characters were powerful enough to get through the missions because I hadn't used mm-hmm. them enough. Because <laughs> I'd just been playing yeah. as Kamala Khan. I liked her so much. <laughs> that was a danger. Indeed. Um, well, okay. So let's get to this la- these little bit of feedback we got. Sure. Tim Brown, a patron, writes, I'm listening to the podcast, and I would say one could argue Infinity War has a lot of Thor in it. It starts off with him, he loses even more in his life, he goes on a quest for his weapon to face Thanos at the end, and he does, but he doesn't go for the head, so he loses. Actually, I think the Russos actually said this once somewhere, and I see it. Thanos and Thor are very much on a similar arc through that movie. Except in the end, Thanos wins, and Thor loses. Also, I finally was able to put my finger on it. I got to where you read my post to you, and I was surprised I wasn't able to word it until now. Party Thor, i.e. Thor without Loki as a brother, which we saw in the What If series, is basically personality-wise a lot like Bob Layton's Hercules from the Marvel miniseries back when I was a young man, a dude who liked to party and his women. Uh, Assuming this, he means Hercules is the dude who likes to party, not uh, Tim Brown, but either way, you know, the the point stands. (laughs) Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. I, 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 that point is very taken. There is a lot of Thor. I, I still feel like the, the overall arc of infinity war is more about Tony and Steve, but maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's just my, uh, maybe it's more, it's it's probably more about end game is what I, what I'm really thinking about because that's what, when they both have to end their arcs as it were. I, I mean, in many ways, I feel like in infinity war, the protagonist is Thanos. Like it's it's his movie more than anything else, yeah, and he's the main character for sure, right? And then to me, the other main character is failure, you know, and that so much of the movie is about each of the Avengers. Like it, it's kind of like the the Greek tragedy idea of the fatal flaw, you know, that like uh, for uh, Star Lord, you know, it's it's his uh, pride and his you know temper throws him off. For Cap, it's his refusal to to, uh, to change his principles and, and refusal to mm-hmm. um, uh, trade lives, as he puts it. For Thor, it's his, like, you know, not thinking it through and kind of just rushing in out of uh, emotion instead of thinking, like, a headshot is what's needed. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I, I do, I hadn't really thought of it, but I do like the idea that Thor and Thanos are kind of on a similar arc there. Yeah, that's a cool, that's a cool idea. For sure, just because Thanos is basically, well, it's it's interesting because they are definitely both characters that are dealing with a lot of loss, but most of the loss that Thor is dealing with, he doesn't choose. Right. Uh, Thanos is choosing to lose more and more so that he can fulfill his purpose, whereas Thor is just been losing things for movies and movies and movies, right. losing things just out of just things he couldn't save. They weren't like, not like he made a decision to lose his mom or his dad or his brother. He did choose to lose, uh, Asgard as a place. But again, it's that sort of like, I have to lose this or lose everything. Right. Exactly. He's like, I, I, I'll save the things I can. And he just can't save everything, which is a little bit different than Thanos, who is like, I choose to lose as much as I can. So I'm willing to lose whatever I have to, to get the thing I want. Right. Thanos could have said, I want to keep my my daughter enough that I won't have my plan in a way that Thor couldn't have done. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think it's very true. Uh, and then the uh, party Thor being like Hercules, I will trust you on that. I have not, uh, I've not read that Hercules run, but yeah. uh, I, I um, he definitely is is a man who likes his party and his women. 
That is true. Uh, yeah, I, I have not seen MCU Hercules. The only Hercules that I've seen on screen is either Kevin Sorbo, which the less spoken about the better, mm. or the Disney one. And the, the Disney Hercules, I remember quite enjoying the movie. I also remember that it was written by someone who actively hated Greek mythology and wanted to do as much violence as he could to it in two hours. So uh, I don't think that one compares. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I I can imagine the party boy Hercules and the party boy Thor uh, being pretty similar. I'm really curious if we're going to get – has it been announced? Maybe maybe it has already been announced. I, I think we may get Hercules in the new, uh, the new Thor movie, actually, mm-hmm. because yeah. – um, Go, the 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 villain is Gore the God Butcher, who right. his whole thing is going through different pantheons of gods and killing them basically. And yeah. so he's you know obviously after the Asgardians next kind of thing. Uh, it, it seems seems to be the possibility for Lo- Thor Love and Thunder. But um, right, yeah, that's yeah, and it'll be gonna be fun. I I think one of the things that uh, we're really diving into in the coverage of the movie Thor, and when we back and watch it, like they really set it up as though as far as the Asgardians know. They're the only sort of like other planar powers that come to Earth and influence Earth mythology in that way. So I, I, I kind of love the idea of like Thor having to realize like, yeah, you guys came to Norway, but these other people came to Greece and these other people <laughs> maybe went to Brazil. And like kind of this idea of like all of these different traditions being somewhat inspired by other earthly beings. Um, I probably just got a hundred different um, angry emails from people who have religious beliefs in those things that would hate that idea, <laughs> which I apologize in advance, but I won't have to deal with those emails because yeah. I'll be gone next week. I was going to so. say, you're like, you're like, I'm just leaving you guys with those angry emails. I'm out. Peace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. This next one. Yeah. So, uh, um, Mio Newman, uh, Mio Newman, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that. Hello, MCU cast. Hello, Mio. <laughs> I am Mio and I'm writing from Tanzania, although I am from Sweden. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I love hearing that the international appeal. I have a theory about Valentina I'd like to share with you. And I think here they're talking about the, the, the countess, Valentina, who we saw at the end of Falcon mm-hmm. and Winter Soldier and in the teaser scene at the end of Black Widow. If you don't know who she is, rewatch Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Anyway, I'm a bit annoyed with the internet for not talking about her at all. Maybe it is because it is too obvious, but anyway, she's walking around and collecting stragglers from most battles, so far John Walker and Yelena. I think she'll create some form of Dark Avengers to either fight the Avengers or other villains. I believe she thinks she's doing good while she's not. I'd like to see what you think about it and which stragglers she'll pick up next, and if you think Yelena will be the main villain in Hawkeye or not. Now that I've officially quoted it, I have one less weight off my chest. Sorry if it was a bit long. Yours truly, Mayo. <laughs> Thanks, Mayo. Uh, welcome welcome uh, for writing in. Um, yeah. I, we've definitely talked about this a good bit on the show, um, but it is, it, it's crazy because I think this is a big deal. Like I, th- this is one of the big things that's happening in Marvel right now is that this new Valentina is going around mm-hmm. picking up these characters. And I think it's one of the things that's running through, but because we are also dealing with the multiverse and we're also dealing with this scroll invasion that Monica got picked up and ran off to and like, and, and fury is out in space with the scrolls. Like, there's so much going on that it's uh it's almost impossible to keep keep all of it in mind all the time but yeah, yeah. so we might have not have talked about it in a few mo- in maybe a month or so but yes we've talked about it dark avengers seems pretty likely uh, based on who she's picked up so far mm-hmm. um but also there's the, the idea of the thunderbolts is another 
uh, another team. Yeah. And since Ross could is still involved at the end of Black Widow, mm-hmm. uh, it's possible that he will get that Red Hulk serum and he'll become, you know, uh, mm-hmm. on that team. I think I think that is a possibility. I think him him being in there as Red Hulk could be a thing. Also, the Abomination is about to be in in a right. She and was in Shang Chi for right. a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think Abomination's a good like. I think. If they do this, they will probably grab a character that is sort of an analog to the Avengers mm-hmm. classic. And uh, so, you know, could be Lady Thor, could be yeah. Jane Foster, could be the new uh, Thor character. Yeah, and in terms of what they do with them, I, I think, I don't know the Dark Avengers or the Thunderbolts as well, but what I what I have seen at least so far is that, you know, going all the way back to Civil War the U.S. government has been wanting to control the Avengers and to get to tell the Avengers what to do. And, you know, Captain America was, you know, pretty clearly saying, like, you know, up yours. Um, or edit that out if that's a little too uh, risque. <laughs> I think, you're, um, I think Cap- you're safe. And Captain America would never say that. He'd yell at me for swearing. He, he has a very polite no thank you. Um, and then, you know, we saw, like, in Black Widow, that was a theme of, of that movie as well, was of Natasha not wanting to work with Ross and, and, and all of this. And then, of course, Falcon becomes went becomes Captain America, but also won't just follow the U.S. government's lead. And that's the mm-hmm. whole point of John Walker. And, and I said, where I'm at least thinking they're going is kind of a Marvel version of the Suicide Squad. Not exactly, but that Valentina is going to place a role similar to Amanda Waller of that morally gray, she thinks what she's doing is necessary, mm-hmm. but she's doing it somewhat to protect her country, not the world, or not the multiverse by any means. And she's got no problems cutting corners to do it, you know, and certainly as we've already seen, she's flat out lying to Yelena about how Natasha mm-hmm. died um, to to blame Hawkeye to get Hawkeye killed. So, yeah, I think I think it's a really interesting story. Oh, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I think that uh, I think that there, she's building something um, and it, I don't know who all else will get involved, but I, I think. It, it it could be anyone. It could be all these villains. I think um, the, the, if if Jeff were here, uh, he would have to tell say he wants Norman Osborn because that's who ran the uh, Dark Avengers in comics, I believe. Mm. Um, and and Norman Osborn kind of ta- takes up the mantle of an Iron Man like figure and becomes uh, becomes president. I think if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but anyway, okay. anyway, like. That all, I think that would work really well, but they, they mm-hmm. gotta keep the rights to Spider-Man involved and they gotta get Norman Osborn in, in, in a bigger way. And that, right. that, that takes a lot of doing, but I think that, um, we're about to get armor wars coming up soon. Um, I think we're probably going to end up in a place where we got like dark Avengers versus young Avengers. I think that's like right. the most likely scenario. Certainly. And I'm guessing the stories will interface a little bit. But it does feel like right now we're kind of telling two different – we're telling a micro story and a macro story. And the macro story is the multiverse that everything's building to. And the micro story is all this kind of like how people on Earth are dealing with events post the blip and these different groups kind of forming. You know, Wanda right. doing her thing. Uh, we now Sword has now formed and this group that Yelena is trying to form and what Cap – you know, what uh, – what Falcon and Winter Soldier are trying to do. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I imagine those two will interact, but I think we're going to get kind of the separation there. And in terms of the other question here about if Yelena is going to be the main villain, I, I think that what's going to happen is 
there's a thing, there's a, not a trope, because I don't, I don't mind it. I like it actually a lot. But what will often happen is our hero starts out with an antagonist, but eventually the two of them realize that they have a common enemy. And so after they've had a couple of great fight scenes, they team up to fight the common enemy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I don't think Elena will be the big bad. I think Elena will be the one who has a couple of fight scenes with him in episodes one, two, and three. By episode four, they've connected enough that she realizes Valentina is manipulating her or that there's some other big bad and, and we're moving in that direction. But what, what's your thought? It's possible. Um, I think the thing we're going to need to see here. So we've talked about a good bit on the show is that Hawkeye has a knack for turning people uh, to, 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 to work for the side of good. Um, right. He did that for Natasha. He did that for Quicksilver very briefly. And he did that for Wanda. And um, I think that we're going to get something similar there. The question is, will it be Clint who does that? Or will it be Kate Bishop who does that mm. after Yelena kills Clint? That's what I keep coming back to. Is that like, what if Yelena is successful? And we have like the new Hawkeye has to get over her like anger at this person who just killed her mentor and has to like overcome her anger and has to like welcome this person onto the side of good by like sort of deprogramming what, what uh Valentina has done or not. Or like Kate Bishop ends up on the side of the, Young Avengers, as it were, if, if we're talking about the Young Avengers, Dark Avengers sort of paradigm, mm-hmm. and then Yelena ends up on the Dark Avengers, and that's like sort of, they are sort of still opposed to each other even after Hawkeye happens. Um, right. I just, it, Hawkeye could easily be his swan song, but I could also see Renner continuing in the role and doing a lot more um, as like sort of that mentor figure for all these Young Avengers, right. you know? Yeah, I, I could see him doing that, especially because that's kind of always the role he played. You know, he was often kind of the heart of the team. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, especially kind of in, in almost, he's very different than Agent Coulson, but in a similar kind of way of, you know, he doesn't have any powers. And one of my favorite lines of his is when he's trying to convince uh, uh, Wanda mm-hmm. to, to go back out and help fight. And he says, look, you know, robots are attacking. The city is flying. The world can be destroyed. And I have a bow and arrow. None um, of this makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Come out and help. And I, I, I could see him kind of falling more. I think this will probably be the only property we get that Hawkeye is the top billing for. I don't think we'll get Hawkeye season two. But I mm. do think we could, or may, unless Haw- Kate Bishop becomes Hawkeye. Right, right, right. But I do think we could continue to get him in kind of like minor roles as that, uh, especially because we don't know to what extent Samuel Jackson is going to continue as Nick Fury. His contract's up, and my understanding is he's not going to plan to do much more. Renner, like, Renner's Hawkeye isn't Nick Fury, but he could start to play a similar role, mm-hmm. you know, of like, um, you know, starting to be the person who's a little bit holding the pieces together and help, you know, he might be the one who connects Kate Bishop and Yelena with, um, Ant-Man's daughter, who we know is also going to become coming into her own as a super, as a superhero at some point. Yeah, most so. likely for sure. Yeah, they, they've got, well, and she, one of the biggest young Avenger stories, we, we covered it for our patrons, um, of, uh, last year. One of the big uh, Avengers stories that it seems a lot of this is based on is about Kang coming back and fighting mm-hmm. with Kate Bishop 
and Cassie Lang as part of that team. And it just seems like quantum mania could be a place where like maybe if, if everything goes well for Kate Bishop and Hawkeye, she ends up in quantum mania, uh, facing mm-hmm. off with Kang. Um, it's, it's, it, it's super, super exciting. I don't know. It's so, mm-hmm. so many ways it could go. And I, I'm excited. All and you, you know, you're talking about this sort of like bigger story, smaller story idea. Mm-hmm. The thing is like comics, like people go on multiverse adventures, but it doesn't have to encompass the story like right. of the Marvel universe. So like one character or, you know, a group of characters might go traversing through the multiverse. And obviously it seems like if you're, ha- if you're facing a multiversal threat, you are literally facing a bigger threat, but it doesn't right. have to take up all the oxygen in the room. You can still tell small stories with people like Hawkeye sure. and like, and then Shang-Chi and whoever else, like, all these characters could continue to have their stories and they could feel just as important and weighty if done properly. Yeah. And I, then, I, you know, it, it doesn't have to feel like that's the big overarching thing. And these are the small things. It could feel like these are just different areas of the Marvel oh, universe yeah. that are happening. Kind of like how guardians, even though it does feel very cosmic in scope, it is just the guardian story. You know, it doesn't right. feel more important than like what's going on with Iron Man or whatever. Oh, and to be, to be clear, I didn't mean that one was more important. Right. I just meant it's kind of two parallel stories that are happening kind of like, but in the same way that like the guardian story and the Thor story and then the earth stories all came together yeah. in infinity war. I, I mean, it may well even be, this is 100% a guess, but quantum mania may well be where we start to see those stories merge since it is clearly about the quantum verse in some regard or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know Kang is going to be in it, but we also know that his daughter is going to be in it. Who's part of the young Avengers perhaps. So we're now into rank speculation completely, but like, yeah, that I, I'm going to be interested to see how they tie all these pieces together. Yeah, and me too. Me too. We just got a couple quick things in the uh, in the chat. I wanted to go on. Um, backing up a bit, when I mentioned the Terry McGinnis uh, thing, uh, Vermillion One and a couple other people agreed. Said, "Give me Keaton, and you know what? Uh, Charlie Cox can be Terry. Terry McGinnis." Oh. And, I feel, I feel I, like he's a little old for Terry, but like, yeah. but I, I, I but love the idea fun. of Charlie Cox back, but yeah. I, it, McGinnis is in high school and Cox has got to be in his thirties by now. Yeah. Um, uh, we also got other people who, uh, I Anderson talked about being totally on board with Kamala Khan's powers and origin changing, uh, her, her powers, like most Marvel heroes, aren't what makes her special. Agreed. Uh, and that, that's really my understanding. Like I, what I know about the character is that she's Muslim, she's Pakistani-American, mm-hmm. and she's kind of coming into her role while balancing those things. And that she's a teenager. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she's a fan of the Marvel heroes, which is one of the things that I think is really fun about oh, I think that would be really great to see. Because she's Miss Marvel because she looks up to Captain Marvel. Like, so she takes on the oh, moniker Miss awesome. Marvel. Yeah, it's it's super fun. And and it, the way they express it in the video game is amazing. You you mm-hmm. start out by playing her. Like, she's the first character you play. And she she is walking through a basically a Comic-Con, but in the world of Marvel, and she's walking through, like, literally picking up comic books based on the heroes, but the actual heroes are there, like, as guests at this Comic-Con type situation. Mm-hmm. It's just super fun. Like, so she is very much one of us, kind of, at least oh, in the, so in the, good. uh, in the, in the, in the game, they did that very much, very intentionally. Like, she's our view through into the world of the Avengers, and then she gets mm-hmm. to kind of join them and get to know them on a personal level, and it's, it's it feels very, 
very fun. I've heard so many good things. I'm not very good at video games, and I've heard the gameplay is a little tough, so I'm trying to convince mm. uh, Mary, my partner, because she loves those things to play, but yeah. <laughs> the one other pe- piece of chat I want to bring up, because um, I may have been spoken here, Vermillion One said, this one is about Valentina, um, they ask, is Valentina intentionally lying? I actually wonder about that, because what kind of debriefing would Clint have had since Endgame? I doubt he's been in official contact with the U.S. government. Uh, they go on to explain the point. I, I shouldn't say that Valentina is intentionally lying, in that she may not know what actually happened. Right. But my memory is, at least, that she claims to know what happened, and, and what she's claiming to know it we know didn't happen. And so right. it might be that she she knows and is lying. It might be that she's interpreting what happened because they don't have any idea. But either way, it, it she's claiming as fact something that we we know is fact and she has right. no reason to believe is fact. We know is not fact, I mean. The other option there is someone else is deceiving her. Also very true. I feel like she's the kind of person who knows what's going on for real. Mm-hmm. She seems to know more than she's letting on in a lot of different respects. But uh, it could be that whoever is in charge of her or running her or whatever is like, you know, also lying to her, telling her things that aren't true. Right. That's yeah, really possible. That scene definitely makes it seem like she's being deceptive. So mm-hmm. I think that was very intentional. Now, whether that's how it actually is, we'll see. For sure. All right, guys. Well, that is going to be our show for today. Uh, we'll be back with more Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. We've got a what if episode dropping in the feed very shortly as well. Uh, probably our last what if roundup of feedback. Uh, and then it'll just start all blending together with all the other feedback because it's just, it's getting old enough now that we can start talking about it uh, a little more loose tongued. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you guys, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Matthew Fox, please tell the people where they can find your, your shows. Tell them about what you're doing. Sure. So I do a couple of podcasts on the ethical Panda, uh, the ethical Panda.com. Uh, you can find all the information there. You can also find me on Facebook or, uh, Twitter at The Ethical Panda. The two main podcasts I do are Superhero Ethics, which is where the, the name comes from. We're going to dive into ethical questions about a lot of this stuff. Matt's been a guest. Jeff's been a guest. Ashley's been on there a lot. Uh, we just put together an episode on Dune that will be coming out uh, either Tuesday or Wednesday this week. So maybe before this, maybe after. Uh, but there we kind of dive in, in that one. I kind of dive into kind of the, the questions about colonialism and a lot of the stuff about religion and messianic ideas and like the creation of messianic ideas. Superhero Ethics is a really fun one. The other one I do is the Star Wars Universe podcast. And that's a little more straightforward. It's kind of doing what Matt and Jeff and Ashley do about the MCU. We do about Star Wars. So right now we're doing uh, coverage of Star Wars Rebels, that great show. It's kind of both for those people who love the show, and if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend it. But also, if you haven't seen the show, it's a great way to kind of get caught up, because so much of the Rebels story is now starting to have an influence on the Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, a lot of the stories we're going to get going forward, certainly Ahsoka and the Obi-Wan show. So a lot of great things to check out there. And the last thing I'm doing is the Marvel Movie Minute podcast. That's where we're doing this very in-depth look at Thor. And you can find all that by just searching for Marvel Movie Minute on uh, anywhere you get your podcasts or just looking for thenextreel.com. So, yeah, I'm really excited to have that. Um, I'm working on Orville with Matt. At some point, the boys is going to come back and you, me, and uh, Jeff and Ashley are going to be talking about that and just excited to be part of it. Yeah, man. Super excited. Uh, well, thank you for being here, Matthew. And uh, we'll be back in just a couple days with more What If Feedback. Peace. Until next time, that... Jeff is back. (laughs) True believers. Thank you for joining us for the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. 
available everywhere you get podcasts, and now a video version streaming live on twitch.tv slash strandedpandatv and available at youtube.com slash strandedpanda. And if you'd like to learn more about all of our other podcasts, geeky projects, and ways to support the network, visit strandedpanda.com.